What happens to self after surrender? In January 24, 1980 edition of the Washington Post, Thomas Boswell writes an article about Olympians, and the title of the article is First Olympic Requirement, Self-Torture. Okay, interesting title. First Olympic Requirement, Self-Torture. And in this article, he talks about the 1980 boycott of the US Olympics and some of the, the personal tragedy stories that came from that boycott. One Olympian said, you can put up with everything if you know you're, you're doing it for a purpose and for your country, but now it looks like I'll never be known as an Olympian. You got to feel for these people. They spent years and years working on this, and now all of a sudden they can't make it. Another Olympian declared bitterly, I've only given up seven years of my life and my whole future. If there are no Olympics, what have I done with my life? It's a good question, isn't it? Olympics or not, what have you done with your life? Most Olympians put their lives on hold for years at a time so that they can excel in a sport. They dedicate every ounce of their energy and stamina and brain power to something that now, because of the 1980 uh, boycott, they, was not going to happen for them. And you can imagine the tragedy that that was for their life. To get a glimpse of this self-torture, uh, Boswell says that the women volleyballers live a Spartan year-round existence at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, rising at 7 a.m., practicing from 8 until 12, and then from 2 until 6, with lunch and sleep between. After dinner come hypnosis and mind control sessions, motivational talks or strategy sessions. You're so tired you can't wait to get to bed, said Rita Crockett. They do this for years. I mean, playing volleyball is fun, but my goodness, eight hours a day, every day, for years? That could be definitely torture. It's not just the volleyballers. The um, swimmers had the same problem. Swimmers, this uh, swim coach was saying, ask themselves why they have been getting up at 5 a.m. and jumping in the water by 5.30 a.m. almost every day for most of their lives. They ask why they have been trained outdoors when it was so cold that their footprints froze on the pool deck. Even with the Olympics as a goal, kids told me, drop dead coach, I'm not doing it anymore. I can't do it anymore, I can't think, and they disappear. Olympians exercise self-denial and self-control, hoping that they will have a good day at the Olympics and come back with a medal. Think about what they're putting into that. Think of what the energy and the time and the emotions and the, the putting their lives on hold. Think about that for years, just to hope they have a good day at the Olympics and bring back a medal. What about you and I? As spiritual Olympians, what are we willing to put up with to have that close, all or nothing, love relationship with Jesus? Do we exercise self-control and self-denial? 1 Corinthians 9.25. We read this in a previous slide. Let's read it again. 1 Corinthians 9.25. This is Paul telling us about his spiritual Olympiad. 9.25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in how many things? All things. Interesting. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath or a gold um, medal or whatever. But we, an imperishable. Whether you like it or not, you and I are spiritual Olympians. And this Olympics is our life. We may have a job, but this Olympics is our life. The spiritual work 
the spiritual growth, the spiritual connection, the relationship with Jesus, that is our life. We are spiritual Olympians. And that is why Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, isn't that interesting? If we want to be Christ's followers, we have to do some things. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. Why is it so important for God's people to have this self-denial? Well, it's because self is not dead, right? It's because self is not dead. Yes, we die to self. We take it off the throne of our lives. Yes, we relegate it to the deepest dungeons of our life, but it keeps on calling out. It keeps on trying to entice us to let it make some choices in our life. Self is not dead, and that's why self-denial is so important. Paul goes on to say, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I like this passage from Paul because he's saying, hey, this is real practical Christian life. This is what it takes sometimes. This self-denial is real. It works. We are told that self-denial is essential to genuine religion. What is essential to genuine religion? Self-denial. Those who have not learned to deny themselves are destitute of vital, practical, I love that word, godliness. We cannot expect anything else than that the claims of religion will come in contact with the natural affections and worldly interests. We've got to know that, right? We're going to be fighting those. And so that's why self-denial is so important. So what was it again? Self is the problem. The Holy Spirit is the solution. Surrender is the key. Only God can do it. Only we can let him. And self-denial is one of the tools that the Holy Spirit uses in our life to keep self under control. You know, there are many good examples of self-denial in Scripture. Um, Jesus, of course, is a good example of self-denial in Scripture. But one of my favorites is Enoch. Enoch stands out as a, as a uh, self-denying Christian. Uh, Ellen White tells us that Enoch lived an active, zealous life of self-denial. I'm, I'm sorry you can't see that better on this particular projector, but this is an important statement. Enoch lived an active, zealous life of self-denial. He walked with God in a world so corrupt that the Lord afterward destroyed it by the flood. And he walked with the ungodly as one among them. This is important. He walked as one among them, but not as one of them. He walked as one among them, but not as one of them, but as one whose purposes and works and hopes were based not only on time, but on eternity. My friends, Enoch is an example to each one of us today, living an active, zealous life of self-denial, realizing that we must walk among ungodly men all around us, not as one of them, but as one among them. And you and I also live in a world that will soon be destroyed. <laughs> uh, we are told that the sin which is indulged to the greatest extent and which separates us from God and produces so many contagious spiritual disorders is what? Selfishness. There can be no returning to the Lord except by self-denial. Right in the common walks of life, this is practical, you guys, is where self is to be denied and kept in subordination. Paul could say, I die daily. It is the daily dying to self in the what? In the big things. 
No, it's in the little transactions, right, of life that make us overcomers. Now, we're talking about self-denial, so I have to put in a disclaimer here and a warning. Because it's easy to be unhealthy in our self-denial. We want a special type of self-denial. We want a godly self-denial. And we want to avoid unhealthy fanaticism. So, let's just talk a little bit about that very briefly. Anybody here know Simon Stylites? Any, any of you kids? Simon Stylites? You guys up, aren't up on your Greek history? Simon Stylites lived in the 5th century AD, and uh, he wanted to be closer to God. So do you know what he did? He left civilization behind, and he walked out into the desert, and he found these old Roman ruins. And because he wanted to be as close to God as possible, he climbed up on top of a 9-foot pillar, and he stayed there for the rest, next 37 years of his life. He didn't stay on that particular pillar. Actually, other people came out and started building him bigger pillars. By the time he died, he was on a 50-foot pillar. He wanted to get close to God, so he separated himself from the world. Is that how we do it? <laughs> Is that how Enoch did it? No. You know what the problem with Simon Stylites' self-denial was? It was selfish. It really was. It was selfish. God is not asking us to be monks, to seclude ourselves in monasteries and flagellate ourselves. God is calling us to do something much harder. He's calling us to live among men, not as one of them, but as one among them, living an active, zealous life of self-denial. So, how can we avoid the pitfalls of self-denial? Well, there's three things that we can remember. One, self-denial is not for God. You're not denying yourself in order to prove anything to God. You're not doing it to deserve anything from God. You're not doing it to impress God. You're not doing it to make God pleased with you. You're not doing it for God. God is doing it for you. Remember that. That's important. Number two, self-denial, true self-denial, is spirit-inspired, spirit-enabled, and love-motivated. True self-denial comes from the Holy Spirit. It's got to. Otherwise, it will become fanaticism, unhealthy self-denial. Spirit-inspired, spirit-enabled, love-motivated. Any atheist can deny themselves. Any atheist can go into the desert and live on a pillar all their life. That's not true self-denial. Only the Holy Spirit can produce true self-denial, denying in us. The third thing that we should know is that self-denial, true self-denial, is for the purpose of seeking the glory of God and the good of others. Don't you think that's a great model for a Christian life? For the glory of God and the good of others. For the glory of God and the good of others. Great motto for the Christian life. What, what do you think God could do in each of our lives and in this world if that was our motto? That was our, our purpose for living. For the glory of God and for the good of others. True self-denial is spirit-inspired, spirit-enabled, love-motivated, and seeks the glory of God and the good of others. That's our key phrase. Let's all say it out loud together, shall we? True self-denial is spirit-inspired, spirit-enabled, love-motivated, and seeks the glory of God and the good of others. The problem is, for most of us who live in the first world countries, we don't have to deny ourselves much. Think about your life. How much do you deny yourself? Most of us have all the things we need and most of the things we want, right? Self-denial is uncomfortable. Self-denial is not easy. It's not our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to indulge self, 
not to deny self. Mark Twain understood this and he said this. He said, the only way to keep your health is to eat what you don't want, drink what you don't like, and do what you'd rather not. Isn't that true? We're constantly fighting self. When we want to be healthy, we're constantly fighting self. By nature, we do not want to deny self. But, my friends, good news. Opportunities to deny yourself abound. <laughs> Here are some ideas. Attending church board faithfully, a very difficult one for me. Driving the speed limit, another difficult one for me. I'm getting these from my own personal experience. Uh, exercising five times a week, good way to deny ourselves in practical ways. Keeping juicy gossip to ourselves. Curbing our spending. Oh, these are just five examples. My goodness, you guys, you can find many, many good ways to deny yourself. The world is full of never-ending opportunities. I went on a mission trip once. I took some uh, southern students to, um, I think it was Peru that time. And uh, I was going through this whole self-denial thing. I was learning more about self-denial at that time. And I was asking God to help me to deny myself. And so um, one thing about traveling internationally, there are lots of lines. Have you ever noticed that? You've got custom lines. You've got immigration lines. You've got uh, baggage lines. You've got check-in lines. You've got all kinds of lines. And when I travel internationally, uh, when I used to, I used to travel a lot in, my, in uh, my work, I would always try to be at the front of those lines. I was a you know, type A personality. When I get off that airplane, I make a beeline to the front of the lines as, far as, as much as I can. And you can do that quite easily. You can get good at this. I was really an expert. Even if I was in the back of the airplane, I could get to the front of the immigration line. This is how you do it, for those of you who are interested. You um, run, walk. You don't walk. You go to the bathroom before you exit the plane. Before the plane lands, you go to the bathroom, because everybody else is going to the bathroom after they get off, so you get to just pass a whole group of people. Also, the escalator, when it's going down, it's full. A third of the plane is on the escalator. You go down the steps, you get past them all real easy, right? It can be done. I was expert at this, but guess what? When I was on this mission trip, my job was to take the students there safely, which meant that, by definition, I had to be last in line all the time to make sure that they got their luggage, to make sure they got through immigration, that they didn't forget their return card, to make sure that they get checked in properly with no problems. I had to be the last in the line all the time. And that was excruciatingly difficult for me. I tell you, it really was. Because here I was, I was getting off this international airplane. And you know what I did? I stood there by the door of the airplane and watched one after another after another go by me. And that was torture. I tell you, it was. Because I had to make sure that all my students were off that plane before I could move from that spot. Well, you know, uh, it actually turned out to be quite liberating. I could relax. I could say, I'm going to be the end of the line. So what? You know, um, I'm going to just relax and enjoy this and not try to be at the front all the time. It's a very good attitude to have. God bless me. He, he helped me to re recognize that this self-denying is not necessarily a bad thing. It can actually be good for others and for me. Well, another place that I learned about self-denial on the same trip was in the seating. Usually when I travel internationally, I like to get the best seat on the airplane in my class. So as soon as I get my ticket, I look on the web and I find the exit row seat by the window. Best seat in the airplane. Because you have lots of leg room and you can lean your pillow against the bulkhead and go to sleep and you get up anytime you want to. You get all kinds of flexibility. So I did that. I got the best seat in the airplane. And for the, for the other student who was on my ticket, I got them the same seat on the other side of the airplane. And afterwards, she came up to me and says, wow, that was a great seat. How did you get that fantastic seat? Well, I just went online and got it. But you know, I was thinking, 
That's not really necessarily very self-denying, is it? <laughs> you know, there's probably a lot of people on that plane who are bigger than I am and taller than I am who would really have uh, been able to use that seat better than I. So I decided that I was not going to do anything with any of my seats for the rest of that trip. I was just going to leave it in the Lord's hands. And guess where I sat for most of the rest of the trip? In the middle seat. There is no place worse on an airplane than the middle seat because almost invariably the people on either side of you are much bigger than the seat they're sitting in. You know? And so you have this multi, multi hour flight going like this with people sleeping on your shoulder, you know? But let me ask you something. If you want to witness to your seatmate, which seat in the airplane is the best one to be in? The middle seat. You got two opportunities, right? If the one's reading, you can go to the other. If that one's sleeping, you can go to the window seat person. So the middle seat is really the best place to witness for Jesus. And so I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to practice active, zealous self-denial. I'm going to go on the website to my profile for that airline, and I'm going to select the middle seat as my preferred seat. Guess what? The middle seat is not an option for preferred seat on that airline. Nobody wants the middle seat. It's the aisle seat or the window seat. Those are preferred seats. No, the middle seat's never preferred. So I couldn't sign up for that, but I can still let the Lord do it for me. So, my friends, there's all kinds of opportunities for denying self, good opportunities for denying self. You don't have to be on a mission trip. Everyday life, you can find these. And guess what? God has built into us three times a day an opportunity to deny self. Good news, right? Yes. We often think of uh, fasting as being self-denying. But did you know that um, every time we eat, we can deny ourselves in very practical and important ways. We are told that the true fasting, which should be recommended to all, is abstinence from every stimulating kind of food and the proper use of wholesome, simple food which God has provided in abundance. That's the true fasting. Guess what? You and I can fast for every meal, healthfully. We're not excited. Come on, you guys. Get excited about this, <laughs> right? Okay. Opportunities for self-denial abound. Oh, God is so good. All right. So denying self that I've been describing to you is really good and really helpful. But remember, the ultimate self-denial is the denial for others, right? The ultimate self-denial is the self-denial for the good of others. And have you ever noticed that when you deny yourself for others, it takes time and money and energy, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient a lot of times, right? But that is the best kind of self-denial. Paul says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And here's the good news, you guys. No individual who has before him so great an object as the salvation of souls will be at a loss to devise ways and means for denying self. Isn't that an incredible statement? Let's read it again. I'll read it to you again. No individual who has before him so great an object as the salvation of souls will be at a loss to devise ways and means for denying self. God has built into each one of our lives the opportunity to have unlimited opportunities to deny self. Yeah, well, okay. We need to get more excited about that, you guys. <laughs> 
Self-denial is not a popular topic. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's time-consuming. It's unpleasant. And, well, you know, it's, it's self-denying, <laughs> right? Not a, not a pleasant topic. Enoch lived an active, zealous life of self-denial. Daily, constantly, in the little things of life, God has given us opportunities for us to keep self down. And by his grace, we can do it. Unfortunately, there has been so little self-denial, so little suffering for Christ's sake, that the cross is almost entirely forgotten. We must be partakers with Christ of his sufferings if we would sit down and triumph with him on his throne. So long as we choose the easy path of self-indulgence and are what? Frightened. frightened. Are we frightened? Self-denial? Our faith will never become firm, and we cannot know the peace of Jesus nor the joy that comes through conscious victory. My friends, I want you to think about self-denial in a different light for a little bit here. Did you realize that self-denial is one of the greatest privileges that God has given us? Think about what self-denial really is. Self-denial is setting aside my own bad choices so that I can choose God's good choices. That's what self-denial is. By nature, I want to do my bad choices. God's way is better. Self-denial is setting aside my bad choices so that I can do God's good choices. Where's the downside in that? It's a blessing. It's a privilege. We should think of self-denial as one of the greatest opportunities in the Christian life to grow, to keep that plane going forward and upward all the time and not letting it settle. No wonder God would have us lay aside the heavy burdens of worldly care and perplexity and take his yoke, which is self-denial and sacrifice for the good of others. Self is alive and well, and self is the problem. The Holy Spirit is the solution, and surrender is the key. Self-denial is a powerful tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit to keep us from reinstating self in our life. God would have each one of us to live the life that Enoch lived, a life of zealous, active self-denial for the glory of God and for the good of others. And by God's grace, we can all grow in that wonderful discipline. Let's pray. Father, thank you for self-denial. Thank you for the uh, power to deny self. Thank you for the, the desire. Thank you, Father, that you work in us both to will and to do it. Thank you, Father, that we can set aside our own bad choices and choose your good choices. By your grace and your power, what a privilege. Thank you for these blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.